there any kids out there? Any kids out there? Yeah, I have a question for you. I was just wondering, um, does anybody remember what the wise men brought for gifts for baby Jesus? Anybody remember? Oh, I see a hand. Malachi. Gold. All three. Wow. Got a smart kid in the audience there. That's wonderful. Yeah. And uh, as we were singing, uh, my son was whispering to me, and I was just reminded of a story um, of uh, uh, an elementary school play that was being put on. And, um, and these kids were, were doing the nativity story. And, um, and as they came up, they're all dressed and everything. And, um, for some reason, the wise men got out of order. And, um, and so instead of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, as Renee read, the first kid walked up and said, I bring you gold. And the second kid walked up and said, I bring you myrrh. And the third kid was kind of stumped and was like, ah, I'm out of order here. And he walked up to, uh, to uh, Mary and Joseph and said, Frank sent this. <laughs> but I was just thinking about children and childlike faith. And, um, and I just, it, it just triggered something in me. And so, uh, so anyways, I wanted to share that with you, but welcome everybody to our Christmas Eve service. It's really a pleasure to be here to worship the King of Kings. That's what it's all about. And, um, and it doesn't matter if there's a thousand people or if there's 10, it's about the King of Kings. And, um, and so I'm excited to be here with you as we celebrate well, I don't know about you, but this week was a little hectic. We had some last-minute gifts to get, and um, we had to mail some more uh, Christmas cards. I, I also, at, at my place of work, um, had several obligations that were going on, um, productions and things like that. And actually, I was looking forward to some quiet time on Friday because... I had Friday off, but my kids had to go to school. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, what happened, kids? <laughs> school got canceled. <laughs> and, um, and I love my kids. Kids, you know that. Uh, but it wasn't exactly what I envisioned my Friday was going to be like. Um, and and none, nonetheless, it was... It was a good time. And it reminded me of this essay that uh, C.S. Lewis wrote. And it's called Xmas and Christmas. Anybody ever heard of it? And in it, he recounts a story about certain winter customs of the islanders of Nyatrib. The island of Nyatrib, which, if you're with me on that took me a while to figure this out. It's Britain spelled backwards, Nyatrib. So this is what he has to say about it. In the middle of winter, when fogs and rains most abound, they have a great festival, which they call Xmas. 
And for 50 days they prepare for it in the fashion I shall describe. First of all, every citizen is obliged to send to each of his friends and relations a square piece of hard paper stamped with a picture, which in their speech is called an Xmas card. And because all men must send these cards, the marketplace is filled with a crowd of those buying them, so that there is a great labor and weariness. This is written in 1954, by the way. They also send gifts to one another, suffering the same things about the gifts as about the cards, or even worse. For every citizen has to guess the value of the gift which every friend will send to him, so that, they, that he may send one of equal value whether he can afford it or not. And they buy as gifts for one another another, such things as no man ever bought for himself. For the sellers, understanding the custom, put forth all kinds of trumpery and whatever, being useless and ridiculous. They have been unable to sell throughout the year. They now sell as an Xmas gift. It's a pretty funny story, I thought, and I read it at the dinner table. It wasn't quite as well received, but, but I still think it's funny, and maybe parts of that resonate with you. Uh, maybe you felt a little bit of weariness this week uh, because of all of the busyness of life. I felt that way, and for part of it, I had to stop and pause because sometimes, as we heard last week, sometimes we forget about what this time of year is about. Now, before anyone thinks I'm against Christmas cards or gifts, then please hear me say that there is nothing wrong with any of those things. After all, here's the 1986 version of the J.C. Penney special. I call it the shock and awe Christmas card. That's me Bob, you asked if I was, where's my red bow tie? There it is, Bob. There's my red bow tie. And of course, the 1999 version of Christmas, and again, the JCPenney special. So as you can see, I'm all about Christmas gifts and Christmas cards. But what is it really all about? Well, we could sum it up in a word. Christmas is about the word incarnation. Can anybody say that word? Good job. That was excellent. You know, we sing it every year in our Christmas songs, our Christmas carols, especially in, anybody know? Anybody recognize a song where we talk about incarnation? It's your time to shine. I I didn't know either until I read through it. Hark, the herald angels sing. One line we sang tonight says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Incarnation in this context means that God became human. The divine has taken up human nature. In no other place, except for the Christmas story, do I like it more summed up than in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It's up on the screen here. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When Kathy read the passage in Luke 2, verse 10, where the angel appears to the shepherds, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. This is the beauty of the message that is unveiled in this story. It's out of a deep and abiding love for his people that God descends to earth as a man. He descends to earth as a man to perform the greatest act of love that humanity has ever experienced to redeem us from our sin so we can commune with the Father forever. That's something to be joyful about, I think. Personal communion with the Father made possible by the mediation of the Son, made possible by Jesus. Jesus came to earth to redeem us, to save us. So what happens next in this story in Luke 2? The shepherds play a pretty amazing role in all of this. And I was pretty amazed at that. Um, If you look in, in verse 15 and 16, one of the shepherds says, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. What does haste mean? Yeah, they went with they went with speed, right? They they moved fast. I don't know about you, I was trying to imagine this, right? They they're running down some hill in Palestine after this angelic encounter and looking on the manger, and they are profoundly impacted. They're profoundly impacted by what they see. How how do we know? How do you know that I'm not just saying that, yeah, that we're profoundly impacted? Great. Well, look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Clearly, they believed Otherwise, they wouldn't have been praising and, and glorifying and, um, and clearly they, they were tr- transformed by that. And isn't it interesting with God how he uses these shepherds who in terms of their status in society, they weren't exactly, exactly top dog, were they? They're down at the lower run of society. They're shepherds. They take care of sheep. They probably smell. And yet, God chooses them to be one of the group to reveal his son, Jesus, who's known as the Lamb of God. He chooses shepherds 
to reveal part of his redemption story. And that baby laying in the manger represents the Lamb of God. And of course, he is the ultimate shepherd. If we backtrack here a second, let's look at verses 17 and 18. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I imagine that all who wondered probably were maybe divided into two camps. I was trying to envision this, like these shepherds, lower run of society, going through the town, and maybe the first people they encounter, they share their story. And probably some of those people who heard that story for the first time were like, yes, this is amazing. But I have to wonder if some of those people were like, hmm, I'm not sure I really buy that story. After all, look at the source. The shepherds, they stink. Can we really trust them? This is some far-flung tale. I was reading a little bit on this, and um, Francis Schaeffer said, and this is a quote, he said, at Christmas time, we set up our Christmas trees and toy trains. That gives you a sense of how old this quote might be. We may even walk along singing carols, or we may preach a sermon. But these bits and pieces are barren or empty if we're thinking only of them, or even thinking only of being in heaven, and are not stopping to ask ourselves, what difference does it make in my life now? I was challenged by that. What difference has looking like the shepherds, looking into the manger, here's my manger right here, what difference has that made in my life now? This isn't a story about condemnation at all. It was just this provocative question. Wow, Ben, this is a great story. But maybe some people would say, well, that's all it is. We can now go back to enjoying all the cultural and commercial benefits of Christmas, of which I don't have any problem with, as soon as you stop talking, which I will do shortly. Part of the doctrine of Christmas is that God became historical. The manger, the resurrection. The story of Jesus is not just a story. It's true. It actually happened. These are not parables or legends. And this is actually part of the opening theme in 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. Take a look at this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, 
so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. A couple quick things about this passage. This is John giving testimony to the authenticity of the personhood of Jesus, of this account. He's saying, I was there, I heard, I saw, I touched. It wasn't at the birth, but he saw the life of Jesus play out, the story of redemption play out. Second thing I just want to note is that this gospel message, this story that begins with the incarnation, it binds us together as a community. It's one of the things that we have in common, isn't it? I like all of you, but we don't all have the same things in common, right? What binds us together? It's the gospel. And even better, it gives us personal communion with God the Father so that our joy may be complete. How is our joy made complete? The incarnation is the beginning of God's plan for the redemption of humanity. It's the beginning of his plan. The shepherds were profoundly impacted by the reality of that evening starting with a visit by the angel and culminating with a look at Jesus in the manger, which clearly changed their lives. What difference has looking in the manger made to us? What difference does it make in my life now? I'm asking myself that question. Christmas and Christianity can be summed up simply in the words of C.S. Lewis in his famous work, Mere Christianity. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. I love where this is written. In essence... In Galatians 4, verses 4 to 6, and I'll close with this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are his heirs. He says sons. He means daughters as well. We are his sons and daughters.
So let me say this. Merry Christmas. May you experience joy in the knowledge that we have been redeemed. Redeemed through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas to you all.